You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. In the middle of his journey through hell, the narrator of Dante's Inferno comes across the circle of the Simoniacs, church officials who've abused their positions of power by buying and selling sacred offices. Dante depicts the shades there as upside down, buried vertically in holes in the earth, an inversion of the glory of the papal throne, with flames licking their feet. Since they cannot see the pilgrim, one of these shades, mistaking his identity, cries out, Are you already standing there, O Boniface? The book has lied to me by several years. It's worth noting that by the time Dante wrote his epic Divine Comedy, his bitter enemy, Pope Boniface VIII, had already been dead for well over a decade. But since the poem is set in 1300, several years before Boniface's death, Dante seizes the chance to foretell not only the Pope's demise, but his damnation. Dante was not the only one who had problems with Pope Boniface VIII. At the beginning of the 14th century, Europe witnessed a scandalous series of trials instigated by the King of France himself, in which the Pope stood accused of a litany of crimes, among them heresy, simony, murder, adultery, fortune-telling, and necromancy. One witness testified that Boniface employed black magic and conjured up demons to do his will. Another stated that the Pope wore a ring in which was enclosed his own familiar demon. More than one accused him of doing away with his predecessor to get his hands on the papacy. But all may not be as it seems. In this episode, we explore the ruthless politics of the late Middle Ages and the life, death, and afterlife of Pope Boniface VIII. By the year 1300, King Philip IV of France, called Philip the Fair, had one clear goal, to strengthen the French monarchy against all rivals. The first step was to restrict the privileges belonging to the French nobility, which he did through a combination of taxation and warfare. Additional wars against the rival kingdoms of England, Aragon, and Flanders had driven France deep into deficit, leading Philip to debase the kingdom's coinage by reducing its silver content. The second step, then, was to release himself and his nation from their debts, which primarily lay with Jewish creditors and the Knights Templar. This he did through expelling all Jews from France in 1306, and suppressing the Templars with accusations of heresy in 1307 and 1314. Finally, to raise revenue and increase his power, he would seize control of the church. Of course, Philip met with resistance, but here, as in all other things, he would succeed in time. When Philip began taxing the French clergy to raise revenues for his wars, He was, in effect, diverting money to his coffers that would otherwise go to Rome. The Pope, of course, objected to what he saw as the theft of the Church's property. Pope Boniface VIII issued the papal bull Clericis Laicos on February 25, 1296, which forbade the surrender of Church property to secular lords and prohibited those same lords from taxing the Church on pain of excommunication. 
Philip and his advisors expressed outrage at the Pope's demands and stated that the crown was only collecting the fees it was due and issued sanctions, blocking the export of all wealth, silver, gold, precious stones, and food from France to Rome. By July 1297, Boniface issued a retraction in the bull Etsy de Statu, which claimed that in cases of emergency, the crown could tax the clergy without papal consent. When Boniface sent Bernard Sasset, Bishop of Palmier, to Philip to act as a papal legate and reprimand the king for his disobedience to the church, Philip placed the bishop under arrest. Sasset had been a frequent critic of Philip, and the king had him tried and convicted of inciting an insurrection. Boniface responded on December 5, 1301, with the bull Asculta Filii, which translates roughly to, listen, son, urging the king to, quote, take into your heart the warning of Holy Mother Church and be secure to act on it with good effect so that, with a contrite heart, you may reverently return to God, from whom, as is known, you have turned away through negligence or evil counsel, and conform yourself to his will and ours. But Boniface didn't stop there. He also urged Philip to obey the Pope as Christ's representative on earth, and as spiritual monarch over all things, writing, God has set us over kings and kingdoms. Let no one persuade you that you have no superior. In response, Philip had the bull publicly burned in the streets of Paris. Boniface then summoned all French clergy to a council in Rome in 1302, but Philip prevented them from leaving France. Despite this prohibition and the confiscation of their property, about half of the church officials in France made their way to Rome. On November 8, 1302, Boniface issued a final bull, Unum Sanctam, which introduced his most radical claims to power yet, writing, Of the one and only church there is one body and one head, not two heads like a monster, that is, Christ and the vicar of Christ, Peter and the successor of Peter. We are informed by the texts of the Gospels that in this church and in its power are two swords, namely the spiritual and the earthly. However, one sword ought to be subordinated to the other, and earthly authority subjected to spiritual power. Furthermore, we declare, we proclaim, we define that it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. While Philip refrained from direct confrontation, his chief minister and lawyer, Guillaume de Nogaret, denounced Boniface as a heretic in March 1303. While the charges Nogare issued were general statements of the Pope's heresy, corruption, and general unfitness for office, Nogare's apprentice, William Duplessis, issued a list of 29 specific accusations against Pope Boniface VIII on June 13th and 14th, 1303. This list began with charges of heresy, including that Boniface did not believe in the immortality of the soul or the existence of an afterlife. These were followed by increasingly grave accusations of sexual immorality and excessive pride. Plessis claimed that Boniface, quote, would say that fornication is no more a sin than to touch one's hands, that he, quote, 
has often repeated that he would lose the entire world and the church in order to humiliate France, and that, quote, to perpetuate the accursed memory of himself, he has placed in the church's silver images of his person, thus urging the people to idolatry. Most grave, however, were the charges of witchcraft. Plessis also stated that Boniface, quote, has a personal demon whose counsels he blindly follows. He said at one time that the entire world could not deceive him, and that could not evidently happen without the cooperation of the demon, and that he, quote, consults sorcerers and witches. Plessis concludes that, quote, he does not seek the salvation of souls, but rather their loss, writing, it is not himself, but his crimes that I hate. In response, Boniface held a consistory at his palace at Agnani on August 15, 1303, and issued no fewer than five papal bulls, which attempted to clear his name and reiterate his complaints against Philip, calling the accusations of heresy against him blasphemous. He also declared that, if Philip persisted, he would be excommunicated. Boniface meant to do it, drafting an additional bull, Super Petri Solo, which ordered Philip's excommunication and was meant to be released on September 8, 1303. Philip and his trusted minister Nogaret stopped its release with one day to spare. One did not become pope in the 14th century without making powerful enemies. Before he took his papal name, Boniface VIII was born Benedetto Caetani. The Caetani were a wealthy and powerful Roman family, and the chief rivals of the Colonna. Both the Caetani and Colonna families had members in the College of Cardinals, and both saw the papacy as a birthright. So when Nogare came to Italy looking for allies against Boniface VIII, he needed look no further than the Colonna. On September 7, 1303, one day before Philip's excommunication would be published, an army of some 2,000 troops, led by Nogare and Sciarra della Colonna, attacked Boniface. One contemporary chronicler, William of Hundleby, records the events as follows. Suddenly and unexpectedly there came upon Agnani a great force of armed men of the party of the King of France and of the two deposed Colonna cardinals. Arriving at the gates of Agnani and finding them open, they entered the town and at once made an assault upon the palace of the Pope. Sciarra and his forces broke through the doors and windows of the papal palace at a number of points and set fire to them at others, till at last the angered soldiery forced their way to the Pope. Many of them heaped insults upon his head and threatened him violently. But to them all the Pope answered not so much as a word. And when they pressed him, he proclaimed in the presence of them all that as long as life was in him, he would not give up the papacy. Sciarra indeed was quite ready to kill him, but he was held back by the others. When Boniface refused to cooperate, claiming he would, quote, rather die, Sciarra reportedly slapped him across the face. In truth, Boniface was probably beaten and nearly executed during the three days he was in custody. According to the Florentine chronicler Giovanni Villani, in this pain, shame, and torment, the great Pope Boniface abode prisoner among his enemies for three days, 
But as Christ rose on the third day, so it pleased him that Pope Boniface should be set free. For without entreaty or other effort save the divine aid, the people of Anyani, beholding their error and issuing from their blind ingratitude, suddenly rose in arms, crying, Long live the Pope and his household, and death to the traitors. And running through the city, they drove out Sciarra della Colonna and his followers, with loss to them of prisoners and slain, and freed the Pope and his household. Pope Boniface, seeing himself free and his enemies driven away, did not therefore rejoice in any wise, forasmuch as the pain of his adversity had so entered into his heart and clotted there. Wherefore he departed straight away from Anyani with all his court, and came to Rome to St. Peter's to hold a council, purposing to take the heaviest vengeance for his injury and that of Holy Church against the King of France and whosoever had offended him. But, as it pleased God, the grief which had hardened in the heart of Pope Boniface by reason of the injury which he had received produced in him, after he was come to Rome, a strange malady, so that he gnawed at himself as if he were mad, and in this state he passed from this life on the twelfth day of October, in the year of Christ, 1303, and in the church of St. Peter, near the entrance of the doors in a rich chapel which was built in his lifetime, he was honorably buried. The death of Pope Boniface VIII was an immediate scandal. Since it followed so soon after the attack in Anyani, rumors began to circulate that Philip had intended all along for Nogaret to murder the Pope. It didn't help matters that Boniface's successor, Benedict XI, died less than a year into his reign. Villani recounts, In the year of Christ 1304, on the 27th day of the month July, Pope Benedict died in the city of Perugia, it was said, by poison. For when he was eating at his table, there came to him a young man, veiled and attired in the garb of a woman, with a silver basin wherein were many fine, ripe figs. The Pope received them with great pleasure, and without anyone tasting thereof beforehand, seeing that they were presented by a woman, he ate many thereof, whereat he straightway fell ill and in a few days died. The College of Cardinals was evenly divided between French and Italian factions, and a heated contest erupted over Benedict's successor. Despite the scandalous rumors that Nogaret was now responsible for the death of two popes, the situation held potential for Philip, who went to work negotiating with the French cardinals and their supporters to elect the Archbishop of Bordeaux as the next pope. His efforts were successful, and on June 5, 1305, the French Archbishop was elected Pope Clement V. Clement immediately released both Philip and Nogaret from the excommunication his predecessors had placed on them. He also immediately appointed nine new French cardinals, firmly tipping the balance and practically guaranteeing a French-controlled papacy. In spring of 1309, Clement officially moved the papal court from Rome to the city of Avignon in southern France, where it would remain for the next 70 years. This outraged Italian powers, especially the Roman nobility, and comparing it to a catastrophic biblical account, some called this period the Babylonian Captivity. 
It would be Clement who helped Philip expel the Jews of France and successfully disband and prosecute the Templars for heresy, seizing their vast wealth for the crown's treasury. It was also Clement who agreed to a posthumous trial for Pope Boniface VIII. Badgered by Philip, Clement agreed to reopen the inquest against Boniface on February 2, 1309. Over the next two years, a series of witnesses brought shocking testimonies, including that the late Pope had murdered his predecessor, Celestine V, that he regularly employed necromancy to consort with demons, and that he had a ring in which he had enclosed a demon that spoke to him in secret. The record recounts an alleged deathbed confession in which Boniface was said to have admitted that, quote, he had entertained commerce with familiar demons who had been the instigators of all his crimes. As he was borne to his chair, he was seen to cast his eyes on the stone of his ring, and he exclaimed, Oh, you evil spirits enclosed in this stone, you who have seduced me, why do you abandon me now? The record describes Boniface's death as nothing less than an apocalyptic scene, stating, on this day, there were so many thunderings, tempests, and dragons in the air vomiting flames, so many lightnings and prodigies, that the Roman people thought the whole city was on the point of sinking into the abyss. Witnesses testified that the Pope consorted with sorcerers and witches, and that he attempted to foretell the future with the help of demonic forces. One witness in the proceeding stated that Boniface had made sacrifices to the devil, Eventually, seeing that this process was making little headway, Philip urged Clement to leave the final judgment in this matter to the Council of Vienne, held from 1311 to 1312. It was this council, overseen almost entirely by French officials, that finally convicted the Knights Templar of heresy. The council ultimately decided to drop the charges against Boniface, but it reiterated earlier decrees stating that Philip should be absolved of any wrongdoing and neglecting to mention the outrage at Agnani. It's understandable why King Philip would want to be rid of the obstacle to his ambitions that was Pope Boniface VIII, but surely accusations of heresy and sexual immorality were enough. Why add accusations of necromancy and the conjuring of demons? In fact, the accusations against Boniface were almost identical to those leveled against the Knights Templar, who were likewise accused of heresy, sexual immorality, and the use of black magic. The list of accusations against the Templars claimed that their initiation ceremony involved spitting on the crucifix and denying Christ, the Virgin Mary, and the saints, and that they worshipped Baphomet, an invented deity that first appeared in these Templar Inquisition records and would later be embraced by modern occult movements. 
Not only did the trials of Boniface and the Knights Templar begin and develop simultaneously, they informed one another. As charges of blasphemy, corruption, and demonic magic built in one case, they soon appeared in the other. The strategies may have been similar because the end goal in both cases was the same, to justify Philip's destruction of his rivals by depicting them as agents of the devil. For the most part, Philip succeeded. Not only did he break the power of the Templars and successfully suppress their order, he also, in many ways, broke the power of the Church. Following the end of the Avignon Papacy in 1378, the continued factional fighting between the Italian and French cardinals would crack the Church in two, with the Great Schism between 1378 and 1417, a period of dispute in which two, then three, rival popes each claimed to be the legitimate head of the Church. Though unity was restored in 1417, the papacy would never regain the power it once held. But not all ended happily for Philip the Fair. It's said that just before the Grand Master of the Templars, Jacques de Molay, was burned at the stake for heresy on March 18, 1314, he cried out from the flames that both Pope Clement V and King Philip IV would soon follow him, saying, God knows who is wrong and who has sinned. Soon a calamity will occur to those who have condemned us to death. Within weeks, Clement reportedly dreamt that he saw his palace on fire, after which he grew gravely ill and died on April 20th. Philip soon followed, suffering a stroke while hunting and dying on November 29th. Philip's three sons would also die prematurely and without issue, leading France into a crisis of succession and a devastating war that would rage for more than 100 years. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen, and please spread the word by rating and reviewing Enchanted on Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by me, with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with me via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com, or follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enchanted Podcast, and on Twitter at EnchantedPod. As always, to learn more and check out the sources for each episode, visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted. <laughs>